Amen. Thanks, Steve. Um, hi, I'm Marcus. Uh, if you didn't hear that, I uh, I'm usually leading worship, but today I'm going to continue us in our series. If you have your Bible, um, grab it, or your phone, or your iPad, whatever you use uh, to read the Bible. Um, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter five. We've been going through this series in the uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, so if you have that, go ahead and turn to, to chapter five. If not, it'll be on the screen. Um, I just want to throw up the box of what we've been going through. Right now we're in that second column, the Messianic Ministry of Jesus. So um, we've been watching um, Jesus show the kingdom to us um, and then also um, is bringing freedom for uh, the poor, and the poor not meaning just financially, but um, the lower class of people. Um, And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it starts, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And the lake of Genesaret is another word for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners to come uh, in the other boat and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So I just want to kind of go over um, a couple of things uh, about what the first century Jewish life would have been like, um, because I think it's going to help expose some of the things that Luke is uh, trying to get across in this chunk of scripture. So if we look at um, that first century Jewish life, we see the role of God and scripture. Um, and we see that scriptures had the authority over all aspects of life. Um, so they, they believe that everything that happened in life was under the authority of scripture. Second, that um, good behavior equaled righteousness. If you were a good um, Jewish uh, follower, you would uh, you'd do all the right sacrifices, all the right offerings. You would do all the things that were good behaviors, and that would mean that you were being righteous. That would mean that you were pleasing God. And then uh, lastly, that rabbis had this authoritative role to interpret God's word. And so they were tasked with interpreting what those good behaviors that would be pleasing to God would be, and then they would teach those. They would teach you how to do these things that would then um, make you righteous, that would bring you God's favor. And then also, um, a little background on the study of the Torah. So around the age of where you would be first or second grade that age, they would begin to study the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Um, it was the law. And they would study it by chanting it with their teacher aloud. Um, and so that's, they would start to, to get a hang of it and, and see what it actually said. And then by the time 
they were at the age of like fourth or fifth grade, they would complete the end of the Torah. And so most students at this point would have it memorized. Um, and they were um, probably at this point the most um, knowledgeable of the scriptures. Like you could quote things, you could, you would know, oh, well that, you know, Moses did this at that point. Or, um, and then lastly, if you um, decided that you wanted to be a rabbi or you wanted to teach, you would campaign. So you would um, essentially ask a rabbi to be his disciple. And the rabbi could grill you or do whatever process he needed to to determine whether or not he wanted you to follow him. He would either accept your request or he would deny it. If he accepted it, then you would follow your rabbi. You would do everything your rabbi did. You would, um, there was a saying that was like, would, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi because you would really be walking right behind them and get covered in their dust. And so um, you would do everything. Or if you decided that that's not the route that you wanted to go, maybe you didn't want to be a disciple, then you would go back and you would learn your trade. Um, so either you didn't want to be a disciple or you attempted and you campaigned to be a disciple and the rabbi rejected you, either one of those options is what would send you back to learn typically your family trade, what your parents, what your father did, you would then learn to do that. So for whatever reason, either Simon Peter didn't want to be a rabbi or he had tried and failed and been rejected, he's gone back and learned his family trade. So he's fishing, which doesn't mean that he is not smart because you would have to catch the fish, you would have to sell them, so he probably knew a couple of languages. You had that kind of business savviness in order to have a sustainable um, fishing business, which he obviously does um, and has people working alongside of him. So that kind of makes sense then when Jesus says, like, hey, go put your nets out. And Simon Peter's like, what? And he's, he's hesitant. And he says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Because typically the fish at night would come up to the surface because it was cool. And then during the day when the sunlight would come out, the fish would go way down deep. And so if they're going to catch something, it's going to happen at night. And they toiled all night. And so in Simon Peter's head, he's like, this, like, no, we, I mean, we tried and it didn't work. And then he says, but at your word... I will let down the nets. And so Simon ends up being faithful. But it's kind of a reluctant faithfulness. He's, he's not like, sure, and then does it. He's like, well, we tried, and it didn't work, but if you say so. And it's kind of cool because it gives us a picture of Simon Peter farther down the line when we end up seeing him reject Christ. Um, three times, and then Jesus essentially calls him the rock of his church. But what's interesting is we see um, Jesus stepping into Simon Peter's wheelhouse. So if you remember uh, last week, Steve was talking about um, the end of chapter 4. And in the end of chapter 4, we see Jesus rebuke a demon out of a man. And then we see him uh, go and heal uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And so you kind of get this picture of Jesus has this authority over both the demonic realm all the way up to a molecular authority. And so 
essentially that Jesus has authority over every aspect of the human condition. And so here we see he even takes it a step farther and he says, I have authority in your circumstances, in your vocation. And so what do we see in Simon's reluctant faithfulness? We see doubt and we see apprehension, but ultimately we see obedience. And a lot of times I think we can get trapped in that in Christianity where we'll say, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it first and see if it's God's will before I, you know, start doing this or that. And that's good, and we should pray about things, and we should pray for God's blessing before we step out into things. But it's when we get stuck in that rut of, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm still praying about it. I'm praying about it again. And I just haven't really heard anything. When ultimately, even if you look at Scripture, you see over and over people praying for God's blessing, and then they just go. And it's usually in retrospect that we end up seeing, oh, yeah, God was there. God was with me during that. And what's great about our God is that his understanding vastly exceeds our own comprehension. And so it's not surprising that we're called to obedience because we're not going to understand all the time where God's calling us. A lot of times it's not going to make sense to us. But if we, if we understand that God's knowledge of what's going on exceeds where we can ever be, then there's kind of a peace in that, right? Like, I don't need to know how God is shaping me. I don't need to know how God's leading me or how God's going to use me. I just know that he wants to. And so I'm going to step out into that. Because it's through our lives and through obedience to where Jesus calls us to that we're going to see change and transformation. It's through that obedience and stepping out in the way that we're called that we're going to see the furthering of his kingdom. And ultimately, it's through following Jesus and being obedient to what he says that's going to help God reconcile the world back to himself. And that takes faithfulness. It's why in Christian thinking that dying to ourselves is so prominent, that Christ will call us to die to ourselves, because it's not our will, it's his will, and most of the time, we don't know his will, and that's okay. It takes faithfulness, even if it's reluctant. And so then we see Jesus uh, bless Simon Peter. Right? If you're a fisherman, this is the best day ever. You just caught like the mother load. It's a huge, huge blessing. Like the boats are sinking, the nets are breaking. That's amazing. Um, but Peter's response is kind of weird at first glance because uh, it says Peter's response is he falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And if we think about that kind of first century Jewish life, some of that starts to make sense, right? Peter's grown up and understands that the way you attain righteousness is through these good behaviors, making the right offerings, doing all the right things, saying the right things. And then Jesus comes in and just blesses him. And so Peter receives this 
huge showing of God's favor. That through Jesus, he's receiving God's favor. And so for him, he thinks, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't deserve this. Peter thinks himself as being unworthy because Jesus has actually exposed in him that he has authority over what he's doing. He has authority over Peter's vocation, over his circumstances. He basically causes all Peter and the guys fishing with them to be like hugely blessed in a financial sense. And so Peter's like, well, I don't deserve this. I'm not doing all the right behaviors. I don't fit this type of person that would receive God's favor because I know the scriptures say that I need to be doing these things and I'm not. He probably talks like a sailor. And so what's great for us on the other side of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is we don't have to meet those certain expectations and behaviors in order for God to love us. The Father looks at us and sees Christ. He doesn't look at us and see someone who didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do this, didn't do that. So it's easy for us to get stuck in that rut of thinking, I need to figure this out first, and then Jesus can use me. And for me, that was a title. Uh, I led, I've led worship for a long time, and uh, maybe like four or five years ago, I thought like, okay, well, I want to step into this. Like, I want to be in full-time ministry. I want to lead worship for God's people. And over and over, I got to the point where I thought like, okay, I could turn this worship into a ministry, and I can start to do these great things, but I'm not on staff yet, so I'm not going to do it. And I thought that that's what I needed to do. And I was actually at a church a couple of years back where um, I would sit down with the head pastor and he would say, hey, our worship has been the same for a long time and I kind of, I want you to be the catalyst to making it fresh and new and different. And I would go, great, I'm your guy. But I work full time, so I can't do it unless you hire me. And then like three months would go by and I'd sit down with the same pastor and, I, and he would say, hey, I think worship is going to change and I want you to be the guy to do it. And I would go, great, I'm your guy. When are you going to hire me? And then three months would go by. We have the same conversation. We did that for like a year and a half. Over and over and over again, he would say the same thing. And I didn't realize it, but it was almost a test where that pastor was going to see if I was going to do what I told him. I want to make worship a ministry. I want to make it its own like small group where people are connected relationally and it's a place for people to serve. And he was seeing if I would do that before being brought on staff, and I wasn't. And it took the youth pastor, who was a good friend of mine, sat me down and said, you don't see what's going on. Like You're not doing what you say you want to do unless you get paid. So I thought I needed that title. I needed to be like the director of music or something in order to actually start to do what I felt God calling me to do. And I was stuck in that. And it wasn't helpful to me. It wasn't helpful to the church. It wasn't helpful to the people that were already involved in worship. But it's not 
how that works for us to follow Jesus, where we need to reach something first. And what's great is Jesus is kind of going about this in a backwards way, or what wouldn't be typical of the time. Not only is he choosing to bless people that wouldn't deserve it traditionally, but he also, as we'll see later in chapter 5, he calls Levi. He's calling his disciples to follow him. And that was backwards. As a rabbi, you would never call your disciples. They would come and campaign and ask, and you would give them permission, or you would deny them. Never would you call them. And so Jesus starts to show us this picture of, of how everything that they thought was right and good isn't, doesn't need to be there. That structure doesn't need to be there. And so I want to, uh, my first closing thought is that you don't need to become something before you can accept the invitation to follow Jesus. This last uh, week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, my wife and my daughter and I went down to my parents. And they live just south of Eugene. And uh, my dad just said, hey, I've been giving money and uh, sponsoring this thing. Do you want to go with me to a graduation? I had no idea what he was talking about. So I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Well, it's this teen and adult challenge that's a rehabilitation uh, center for um, people that are getting over addictions, and they commit to a year long of being in this place. And while they're there, they get help with, you know, the physical um, ramifications of being addicted to something. And then they also are learning the Bible and are being taught about Jesus. And so um, my dad had been sponsoring this guy, um, and he was going to be there. He wasn't graduating, but he was going to be there, and so we hung out with him, and it was cool. But then um, the graduation started, and the main guy that runs uh, the program gets up, starts talking about, like, this is what we do, and this is what it looks like, and um, these two guys are going to be graduating, and we're so excited for them. And uh, so then he calls the first guy out, and so he'd been in it for a year. So he gets up, he gets like a little certificate, and the first thing he says is, I did it. And like all the guys that are in the program are in there, and they're just like, woo! They just freak out. They're like, yeah, you did it. Like they're super supportive. So I'm like, what did I walk into? What's happening? And then the guy stops, and he says, I have a lot of people I want to thank, but first I want to thank my family. And he points over to his wife and his kid that are sitting down in the front row. And he stops because he's about to cry. And he says, they stuck with me through this. They were supportive. I've been away from them for a year, and they've loved me through all of my mistakes. And I turned to my dad with, like, tears running down my face. And I was like, you didn't prepare me for this. I had no idea what I was walking into. I've been to graduations before. They're boring. There's somebody that does a speech, but this is terrible. So then he keeps going, and he's, he's thanking people that have been influential, and he's crying, and I'm crying, my dad's crying, everyone in that room's probably crying. And then at the end of it, he looks at the guys that are in the program currently, and he says, stick with it. Don't give up, because Christ wants to use you. Because that guy now has been traveling to churches and sharing his testimony and giving witness to the way that Jesus 
has influenced his life. And so if there's anybody that you think probably in their own minds is thinking, I'm not worthy of this, it'd be those guys in there. We talked with the guy that my dad is sponsoring, and that was one of the things he said was, I can't believe like that after all that I did, the way I hurt my family, the way I hurt my kids, that there's this redemptive love of Jesus. And now I get to go out and show that love to other people. It's crazy. And then my second closing thought would be, will we allow Jesus to have the authority in every aspect of our lives? Because like we saw, Jesus enters into Simon Peter's wheelhouse and says, I have authority over that, over your job. And when we allow Jesus' authority into every aspect, then we can respond like Peter does and James and John at the end of it, where they drop what was essentially a huge payday, and they leave it to follow Jesus. Because it's through that interaction. Like, Simon Peter's been around Jesus. He was there when his mother-in-law was healed. This isn't his first time that he's seeing Jesus. But it's the first time that Jesus' authority has entered into a place that he thought was his. And so he's like, yeah, like I just made a ton of money, but I want to see what you're going to do. And so my challenge to us this morning, my first challenge would just be that we would stop. That we would stop trying to get to some place where we think Jesus is going to use us more. That we don't need to pray more. That we don't need to read our Bibles more. That we don't need to serve more before Christ can use us. And it's in Christ using us that we're going to want to pray more. That we're going to want to read more. That we're going to want to serve more. Because wherever we see in the scriptures this self-doubt over and over, God says, do not be afraid like he does in this one, or lean not on your own understanding. Don't think you're going to attain this on your own. Because if you did, like if you did attain all those things that you think you need to get to before Jesus can use you, then you're perfect. And none of us are perfect. None of us ever will be perfect. And so you get stuck kind of in this rut of I'm a sinner saved by grace, which is true. We are sinners and we are saved by grace, but we're a new creation in Jesus. We are not sinners. That's not our identity. We, do we sin? Yeah. Oh, man, all the time. But that's why Paul addresses his letters in the New Testament to the saints of different churches. Because in Christ we're a new creation, we don't need to do something for God to love us any more than he does. And then my second challenge would be, what area of life are you holding on to that you don't want to let Christ's authority into? Because as we see, Jesus has authority on all aspects of the human condition, we see in this passage that he also has authority over nature and the created world. Because those fish didn't just swim up naturally, or as they would. 
And then we also see that Jesus has authority over our circumstances. So he has authority over our jobs, over our families, over our relationships. And the question then is, are we open to that? Are we open to living under Jesus' reign in every aspect of our lives? Or are we compartmentalizing everything into little boxes? And we say, okay, well, Jesus can have this part of me, but he can't have this part. Because if he had this part, it would mean that I had to change. It would mean that, man, I, maybe in this, I'm sinning. Like maybe I have some broken relationships that I haven't wanted to heal because I, I'm not allowing the redemptive love of Jesus into that. Where I should show grace to this person. Where I should show love to this person. But I don't want Jesus' authority in it. It's mine. And it, it's scary when you let that in. It's exposing of how we're not perfect. And that's hard. It's hard to look at those aspects of our lives and think, oh man, I'm not doing that right. It's exposing of our lives and it's really easy for us to respond in the way that Peter does. It's really easy for us to think like, oh, I am a sinner. Get out of here. Don't come into this compartment of my life. Because I'm going to do it. And I think I'm going to do it better or I'm just afraid for you to expose things. And so it's really easy for us in that to lean into that identity when really we need to lean into Jesus' love and his authority in everything in our lives. Because unlike Peter's reaction where he thinks I'm unworthy of God's favor, if you're following Jesus, then you've got it. You've got more love than you'll ever understand. And not just for the purpose of you feeling loved, which is true, but so that you can show that love to other people. That you can allow Christ's authority to e in everything in your life and that it would be an outpouring of the love that you've already received. And so as we come to the table this morning and we take of communion, be reminded of your identity in Christ. Be reminded that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and rose from the death like we can't. And that through that, we've received God's grace. Be reminded as you come to the tables that you don't have to do anything, that God loves you. And also just be mindful that God wants to use every aspect of your life for His glory. That Jesus has authority over all of it if we'll let Him do that. If we'll feel convicted where we need to be convicted. If we'll repent where we feel like we need to repent. And may we understand that following Jesus 
means getting covered in his dust. It means doing what Christ calls us to do out of obedience, but out of an obedience that's a response of love. Because we we don't deserve it, but we get it. We get that grace. And also as you come to the table, there's boxes. If this if you consider this your church and you'd like to give. Steve's gonna come up. We're gonna close in a couple of songs of worship. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, you are massive. Father, we understand that you speak into our lives in the areas that we are afraid. In the areas where we want control. And so, as we come to the table and as we respond in worship, would would we be reminded of your grace? Would we be reminded of what Jesus did? through his death, burial, and resurrection. And God, may we live into our identity as a new creation in you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your love that we don't deserve. We thank you for your grace that's unearned. And may we press into that understanding and the peace that you bring in that.